It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you You're listening to The Noise Cancelling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark. Welcome back, everyone, to The Noise Cancelling Pod. This is episode 32, and I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. We're glad to have you with us. We're sorry it's been so hit or miss this spring, but... But man, Axel, it's been a it's been a whirlwind, <laughs> one thing after another for you this spring. Yeah, been traveling. Uh, went to so I'm going to Squadron Command this summer, and so there's a week long course I went to for that, and then we had uh, a big two week long training exercise that we were going to. So lots of things going on. What would you say was your biggest takeaway from either of those two things? Uh, so the mo- I think from the the commander thing i liked talking to other people going into command and just getting different ideas Mm -hmm. uh, on kind of their philosophy and different situations that they've been in or are expected to go into and then from the training i so here here's the thing that it really drove home to me Mm -hmm. so i find that a lot of times training and I put that kind of almost in like air quotes. Yeah. Is just you, like, let's say you're training on a topic. People will just take, for us in contracting, a bunch of references and just use a, put them on a PowerPoint slide that anyone could read. And then you just like read off what the, what the information is. But no one ever actually does what it says you need to do. So, for example, it may describe how to use a certain form to purchase things. Mm-hmm. But no one ever actually goes and practices writing onto one of those forms and so you have all this it's almost like training awareness but you've never actually done a practical exercise to get experience doing something yeah and so this exercise was was about getting experience doing things and the people that went through it they commented over and over again on how like this practical exercise training was so much more helpful for them in terms of building confidence in their ability to actually do this work Interesting. when it, yeah, when they had to. So was it, was it like role playing type exercises or like, how would you categorize those exercises yeah. in general? So yeah. it's role playing. So it's for contracting. It's like you're going to a new base, so you have to purchase all these things. And so there's, it was pretty cool because there was what you would call a controller. And so it was all on like Google like a, like email accounts and so mm-hmm. they would email this controller and he would act as either the base commander or a vendor or whatever they needed they just emailed that person mm-hmm. and he he had pre-built quotes that he would send back to them so he had like 200 pre-built sets of quotes interesting uh based on the requirement that they got so it was a pretty involved like simulation training that's cool so, I mean, it was more than just like going to this negotiation and here's your side and here's your side. Right, right. Okay. Well, that's cool. But but I think like that's a good example where 
even the negotiation thing, we did a little bit of negotiation, but that wasn't the focus. Yeah. But that's another example where you talk about negotiation, but you typically don't actually go in and right. practice. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's definitely true. And I'm, I, I feel like some of that stuff just takes reps no matter, no matter how good your simulations are too. Yeah. I think it's true in life in general where I would sometimes fall in the trap of just reading a bunch of books, but never actually doing what I'm reading about. And I think you get awareness, but you don't actually know how to do any of those things. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, you know, I know from your experiences, like the, the education that stands out the most are, are the super application where like you went to that class and filled the survival class where right. like you learned those skills and then you went and did them the same day or the next day. Yeah. No. So my so my new focus is well, if we're doing training, I want there to be a practical exercise associated with it at the end. Nice, like every single time. Yeah, I think there yeah. should be a, even if it's very simple, there should be something, some practical exercise, if something, you can. Something that you can tangibly take away from it and actually use. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense, and I think, you know, we didn't even talk about segueing this, but I think, talking about this you know, whether it's just plain learning or application and finding that sweet spot, you know, that's, that's what this episode is going to be all about. So when I sent you that, what, what came to your mind first? Well, so the first thing I thought about was finding balance in your life, Mm -hmm. which I think probably I've been weaker at than I, like it's something I probably need to focus on. Sure. Uh, Like setting aside time for different things. And yeah. so that's what I thought about is making sure you have balance in your life. Yeah, no, I, that was kind of where I started from too. balance and, and how to learn things, balance and developing new skills and just kind of <laughs> how to stay sane in the world in general. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I wanted to, to key in on was uh, kind of F. Scott Fitzgerald's view of the world. Um, and how he, he focused so much on, on youth and um, before you got old. And I think it's really funny because I never really read that many books when I was younger. And so I finally started reading F. Scott Fitzgerald kind of when I was past the age of youth. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't necessarily know if I took offense to how much he kind of loved youth, but I, I found it very interesting that, you know, he keyed in on it so much. And I'm just going to read a quick quote. Okay. Um, from F. Scott Fitzgerald, and it, it goes like this. Um, Life is essentially a cheat, and its conditions are those of defeat. The redeeming things are not happiness and pleasure, but the deeper satisfactions that come out of struggle. Thoughts? What does he mean? What do you think he means by life is essentially a cheat? That you're always going to be, you're, like you're never going to be up completely on top right like you're you're never really going to beat it but right like right the, the things that you can remember the best and and remember learning or or just the things that you you get through those struggles you know they may not actually be wins in the end but they they feel like it and and there's redeeming qualities from those yeah but i like that I, quote yeah i think it's it's nice it reminds you i think that maybe to appreciate the happiness and pleasure you have to experience some hardship and some struggle yeah 
And I think for me, when I'm when I'm thinking about finding the sweet spot, you know, when when you're younger, like the sweet spot for you is winning a hundred percent of the time, right? <laughs> like, like right. You don't, you don't really ever want to sacrifice. Like, if you set a goal, you want to reach it a hundred percent. If if you want to go to this school, like that's the school you want to go to. Period. And I th- I think as I've gotten older, I've seen you know there's so much redeem redemption in in either just losing sometimes you know not not even getting close to what you wanted to achieve but just in in coming close to what you set out to do i think that's a hard that that's an interesting challenge to have is i wrote down in our notes you know shooting for the stars and if you fall short you still land on the moon yeah. but i think that's kind of a hard mental thing to do unless yeah, unless you know it's a See, I guess if you set a shooting for the stars goal and you know it's a shooting for the stars goal, then like you and you know, okay, if I fall to the to the moon, I'm good. But it, what if in your mind that you're really just shooting for the moon and you don't clear atmosphere? Yeah. No, I mean, I think. Can you be appreciative that hey, I was a, <laughs> I, like I made it farther than anyone else out of the atmosphere? Are you? Is this like a weird like subtweet to the four minute mile challenge? <laughs> I mean that that is kind of what comes to mind but I, I don't know I mean I think it comes down to you know motivation and and limitations to a certain extent you know like if if you can motivate yourself to get to the moon but you're still happy with falling a little bit short you know I think I think that's fine but if if you're one of those people who shoots for the moon but then if you fall short at all you're going to feel like it's a complete failure then you know, I don't know. You really have to know yourself. I mean, I think that was one of my takeaways from going through our, our notes for this is like so much of this is just on you and, and learning about how you're motivated and, you know, how you reach towards towards goals. Yeah. So you ha- can you describe this function that you have on our notes that you came up with? Yeah. So, uh, it's, so it's just a really simple equation. Motivation divided by limitations equals satisfaction. And so, you know, if your motivation is super high for this goal, um, but let's say you have extreme limitations, like you, you may not get as much satisfaction out of that unless you can acknowledge those limitations. That's, that's kind of the later part of this function is, is knowing that, you know, if you're trying to reach this goal and let's say you say, well, I'm going to read 30 books this year, but you know, you work 60 hours a week and, you know, you have a family or let's say you work 80 hours a week and you really only have, you can devote one hour a day to reading mm-hmm. like, or even 30 minutes a day. Like you're probably not going to reach that goal. And it's not because you're not trying hard and it's not because you don't have the ability to reach that goal. It's just because you have the specific limitation that's going to hold you back from achieving that. Yeah. I think it's important to recognize the limitations that are outside of your control and the things you can do nothing about, you just have to accept. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's probably one of the the bigger <laughs> concepts that I've struggled with and started to grasp a little bit in the last few years. Is just like as I continue to take on projects, you know, you you have to realize that uh, you either have to start saying no, or you're going to have to accept less fewer results I guess fewer good mm-hmm. results so that I don't know I mean I think 
I think really the end end game is figuring out, you know, what what level of satisfaction you're going to be happy with, you know, because I, that that's it. I don't know. I struggle with that a lot because I set a lot of goals and I, I don't always reach them 100%. At, but I, I'm fairly good at acknowledging my limitations. And, and I wouldn't say necessarily in a way of making excuses, but, but just in self-awareness of, you know, I, I, I could have tried harder. I could have done this better. But at the end of the day, I just maybe didn't have time to take on as much as I was breaking off. Yeah. Self-awareness. Yeah. Um, one other concept I wanted to kind of key in on the sweet spot is is the work in progress so i know you've had some long-standing goals like the backflip and we kind of go back to those you know i think there's some redeeming qualities in in keeping those things going to to not necessarily now if you're like 75 years old and you're like i'm gonna do a backflip yeah you know like maybe that's not smart but i think there i think there's some good to come out of just just the continuity of keeping goals alive, even if you didn't achieve them in a year or even two years. Yeah, I don't. I think it's maybe good to have a big list. I, for me personally, and part of this is because I, I think just I prefer flexibility, and so I just naturally think this way. But I, I typically don't have a very specific long-term goal that I'm shooting for, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that. Maybe it could be a healthy approach, but it just seems like sometimes if you're so focused on this very specific goal, then you may miss the opportunities that that are different that and you turn them down because it's not associated exactly with this very specific goal that you have. I think that's a good point. I mean, I think I think again that depends a little bit on your first personality because yeah. there there definitely are. Um, people who can get really down into the weed like you talk about like programming is when you say well you're like that example that stands out to me is something that could get in the way of you know broadening <laughs> broadening yeah. your scope a little bit true maybe yeah. maybe <laughs> it I, maybe i go down rabbit holes a little bit too frequently and i need uh, a longer term goal to pull me out of these little side projects but uh, what i think is so interesting is you know i think you're really good at at gaining depth of knowledge and I, th- I think I'm definitely more a breadth of knowledge person like I <laughs> it's hard for me to really get down into the weeds and you know drive in on a on a topic for a long period of time so just like with with programming I think sometimes I've I fall on the other end of the, the camp where mm. you know I I can kind of get that you know you say it's always a 90 percent proficiency yeah like i'm probably happy with 70 percent sometimes you know (laughs) i could probably i could probably dive a little deeper into the rabbit hole at times but i think that work in progress what comes to mind for me is just like even if you have let's say you had like a new year's resolution uh or you wanted to learn a new skill or a new foreign language and it didn't work out this year like not viewing that as a disaster, but just viewing it as, you know, you're going to continue on and figure out a better way that, you know, if it's a new app to teach you something or you get a tutor or you figure it out, you know, this, the way that I was trying to do it before didn't motivate me enough. Like not yeah. just, not just going with the failure, but, but kind of pivoting from that and figuring out a new way to do it. I think you have to d- treat it as a lesson learned and maybe and either try a different approach or maybe cross it off the list of 
this one's not going to happen, or at least it's not going to happen right now. For sure. No, and I think one one l- interesting thing that you brought up was the passion versus pursuing mastery. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to jump into that a little bit? Because I think that's a, that's a good so, tie-in right now. So it's an interesting idea of you hear some people say that you should uh, search for your passion and then do something that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. But then I've heard a lot of other people more recently talk about find something that you're interested in and then become a master that's that thing. And once you achieve mastery, then the passion will follow. So I think it's it's trying not to spend a whole ton of time searching for this the uh, passion to almost appear out of nowhere, but find something that you generally like and then just become an absolute expert in it and then those people end up being passionate about what they're doing. I think that's I think that's a good strategy and, and something that I've definitely seen in, in life. You know, like when you think about, did you ever dream of being an Air Force contracting officer when you were a kid? No, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. But I definitely think that if you can, like you said, if you can achieve a very high level of mastery of something like it, it does, it does start to uh, permeate within you <laughs> you start thinking about it more and more now i think that sometimes it becomes almost a prison if you really did hate it um, yes yeah so it has to be something that yeah i agree on that you have to I have like it, you said you have to have a general level of uh, enjoyment yeah i agree it, it needs to be in an area they're interested in but then maybe find an area that you're generally interested in and then go for it to become a master and don't expect it to just be a passion that just springs from nowhere maybe no i think that's i think that's key and i think when i go back through and kind of track what's been successful when i've tried to force you know a passion (laughs) uh, like like i wanted to learn german a couple years ago yeah and it it lasted for like three and a half weeks and then i was like "Eh, not super interested right now but that was because I was just purely forcing, like there wasn't any real tangible reason that I wanted to right. learn it. I just had decided, matter of fact, that I was just gonna learn German. I think I always have to have something, I'm learning it to to, to do something else is when I learn it the best and I am the most motivated. Yeah, I can totally see that. And I mean, that comes down to, to motivation as well. You know, like what actually motivates you. Right. So one thing I wanted to kind of jump in on, because this is this is one thing that I, I battle with myself, is compartmentalization um, versus kind of a more holistic approach. And I think when you have a lot more time, like when I think back to how I, I learned stuff when I was younger, or like when I wrote a screenplay in college, like I had all this extra time to just kind of dive in and pursue it as much as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And and now I kind of have to split up my time in such small increments that while I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's great for learning everything, it, it does make much more efficient ways of, of learning things when I'm like, okay, I have 30 minutes to do this. Like, it's so focused. Yeah. Uh, and it's it definitely, I'll be honest, I think the compartmentalization is good for learning, like, really concrete skills or going after very concrete goals, but it's not great for any sort of creative process. What is that? Hold on. What do you mean by that? So like if I was, if like compartmentalization, 
So just breaking down the task into either the smallest mm. chunks possible or just in terms of time restraints, giving yourself really small chunks of time Got to yeah. be very focused <clears throat> on specific tasks. Yep. I 100% agree that if you want to be creative, it's hard to do it in little 30-minute chunks. Yeah. Because a lot of times you just kind of – you it takes you 30 minutes to get into it and then if you're like you're just getting started now one kind of uh little tangent off this was i was thinking about creative meditation yeah i know you have done a little bit of that can you do you think you can compartmentalize that or do you think you still need to set a, a lot of time aside for kind of creating that brain space i think you can you probably only need five or ten minutes of I, I, so I have a new, I guess this is just a theory, but it's, so I started, I, I stopped riding my bike to work as frequently. Mm -hmm. And, and also, I also noticed when I bike to work, listening to a podcast versus bike to work with no, like nothing. And I think biking to work with nothing is almost a form of meditation. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and I think what happens is you're, your mind because you're i think your subconscious like uh it it runs through different scenarios or it, like works things out while you're just like what you what you, what appears to be mindlessly riding your bike yeah i think your subconscious is like working through things it's probably similar for when you're meditating yeah for sure like it's just kind of bubbling up and then you're you're pushing it off yeah yeah but it needs it needs like time to to just work through whatever it's whatever it needs to work through yeah no i think that's so that's so uh, yeah true. i so don't I, think you necessarily need pure meditation like i, I think i've maybe it's like a, a quiet walk without headphones or mm -hmm. some way to just almost be bored is helpful to you just eliminating as much stimuli as possible yes in terms of like actual conscious stimuli i guess Mm-hmm. yeah no i think that's that's a good approach but yeah i don't i don't know i i, I feel this this pull to spend more time to be creative but i <laughs> it's hard for me to put forth much much effort or time to actually do that do you think it's because you have a hard time getting started you need you feel like you need more time to kind of get into the groove or what's the why do you think that is It'd be interesting. So I mean, if I had like a specific project, like if I was, if I was writing something, uh, or like producing something, I I think I would be more apt to to spend little chunks of time. But since I don't have any active pros projects going on, it's it seems kind of daunting to to figure that out and to start. Yeah, that's going back to what we talked about earlier. You you need a project to to yeah. motivate and focus you. Yeah, exactly. But I can I can feel that part of my brain wanting to be engaged, um, and obviously with a, <laughs> a small child, you know, having a three year old, I, I get I get times to be creative, but it's on it's on a very different level. <laughs> yeah. Than, than kind of where I would where I would want to be. So you had this note in here on on and off thinking. Um, can you explain that a little bit more? So that's similar to what I related to what I was just talking about and that if you're really solving hard problems, you can only work on that for maybe four hours 
and then your mind is exhausted. And I think a lot of times in, because we have all these notifications and we are like, we are slaves to email. Mm -hmm. I don't think we actually work on hard problems. We just kind of, uh, put out fires all day. That's what we end up doing. But I think if you, if you could just take away all those distractions and just work on a hard problem, you probably can only do four hours. And to think that you can do eight hours of hard problem solving is unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I, so on and off master on and off thinking assumes that you are working on a hard problem for eight hours, which I think maybe most people are not able to do that, that, you need your brain can only work on the hard problems for four hours a day. So what that may mean for people is in the morning or in the afternoon, turn off all your notifications and set aside time to just work on the hard problem. And then when your mind is kind of, Hey, I, the hard problem I'm tired, then, then you can start skimming through your emails and doing the, the more mindless work, but trying to set aside time between those two things. Yeah, honestly, the most, the most productive weeks that I have are when I actually am pretty disciplined in doing that, where, you know, if I have a couple big things that I need to, to work through, I may even like reserve a, a conference room just so that's the only task I have in front of me. And, yeah. Like, turn off, turn off Wi-Fi on my <clears throat> computer and not bring my phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I feel the most fulfilled though when I can get a good chunk of work where I can get three hours on a project and just that's all I worked on and I like the time passed so fast. That's my favorite type of work to do. No, I agree. Working on on bigger projects in a very focused way feels much better than going through 250 emails. (laughs) Exactly right. (laughs) Um. Was that all you had on that one? Yeah, I think that's all I had for that okay. one. My next key, actually, uh, this was my last key. I know you had a few other things, but I, my key was don't sell yourself short or long. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of gets back to, you know, talking about goals, talking about where you want to be, you know, long term. Every once in a while, I'll sit down and try to plan out like a 20 year plan. <laughs> okay. See, that's <laughs> what I never do. I just describe, I just ex- explained that. <laughs> So, so like, it, it's silly. I mean, it really is silly because you're like, you have no idea where you're going to be in 20 years, what you're going to be doing. I mean, you might because you're in, in the military. So that's a little bit more helpful. But again, no, you still don't. You, you know, we're going to be for the next three years, maybe. Right. But exactly. then you have no idea where you're going to go. But I think the exercise is really important um, to look at the different paths that you could choose, you know, where you know, I'll even chart out three or four and there may even be kind of an open-ended path um, somewhere in there. But, you know, really just saying like, why? number one, where do I want to get to and why? Um, yeah. Because I think that's the thing that you kind of leave out of five or 10 year plans a lot. Like here's here's the next job, here's the next job, here's the next job, here's the next move. Um, but, you know, answering that question, well, why, why do you want to get there? Like, I think that's the next step in figuring mm. out like, what you actually want to do and you know by don't sell yourself short or long you know i think it's finding finding that middle ground 
where you know you you shoot for a far enough goal or you like a 20-year plan like i said it's shooting past where you can actually predict but it, it gets to a deeper level thinking of what you actually want and why you actually want it yeah there's an advantage to thinking for the long term so that's definitely hmm. but I it's hard to a, do yeah yeah and i think it's it's not the idea of thinking for the long term and that I wanted to do this very specific thing. It is what options do I have? What are the different paths that I can take and looking at things you may need to do so that you don't limit your ability to do some, some of those things that are farther out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the other step is, is figuring out how you could actually do that, how you could actually be successful in, in reaching those, those goals or, or jobs that you want to have. So my uh, my coworker gave me a great idea or a, a question to ask people because, you know, when you're talking with people that are working for you or whatever, a lot of times you'll ask them, well, where do you see yourself in five years? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they don't really have an answer or they're just like, oh, I'm fine, you know. She said what she likes to do is ask people, where don't you want to be in five years? And then the same person may think about it and they're like, actually, I don't know exactly where I want to be, but I don't want to be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I want to grow in some way and they had and making them thinking about it from where they don't want to be makes them realize that just sitting where they're at is not going to make, is not what they want to do really. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good first step to say, okay, well then what do you want to do? You know, like, I agree. That's a good way to break that ice and to, to start digging in much deeper and, and hopefully get them to think about it, right? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so I'll be honest. That, that's all that I had. I, I was kind of excited just to get back in, have a little, yeah. little short episode. Uh, did you have any other, other thoughts or things you'd like to add? No, the, the only thing... So I've been thinking about uh like how i'm going to do different techniques for a command that i'm going into so so leading an office mm-hmm. and i came i have one thing that i think is is an excellent technique so usually or i think you should probably have maybe three or four either priorities or principles or fundamentals that you think are important and that you like lay out for people so they know okay as a guiding principles here are the things that if i do these things that's really what he's looking for Mm -hmm. and i know that you want to repeat those and like really drive them home but i think just repeating like the words of them is not very effective and people become bored yeah so i think the key is that you mention them but then you tell stories of people in your office that are embodying those principles or making decisions and that are following those principles and like that's how you drive home your points i think that's awesome so do you have yours already yeah so my i i so i i've tweaked it so they used to be building relationships becoming an expert on what you're buying and then become a business leader Mm -hmm. and so i think what i was missing is you have to fundamentally know contracting to like i was missing the the basics of 
you need to know the fundamentals because mm-hmm. the idea is it, at least for me if you if you have relationship with the people that you're purchasing this stuff for and you understand their what they're trying to get done then you can help them solve problems because you understand their problems and they trust you to solve those problems mm-hmm. but if you don't have the fundamental contracting knowledge then you don't know how you can't offer a contracting solution because you don't know the fundamentals right and ultimately what i want if you have those three things then you can be what i'm calling a business leader where they you're like you're in charge of the situation and you can tell this person hey here's the way we need to go and they trust you and you can lead them to the uh, end of the successful project right rather than just sitting back and saying hey it's just tell me what you want to buy and then i'll just put in the like i'll just do the paperwork and i'll take that's all i'm responsible for that's not what i want no not at all i think those are good yeah so pretty easy to communicate too right so and i think you can't have too many so those are my four and then i'm working on what stories i want to tell that are associated with that at least to start with nice no, I think that's that's awesome, and I think keeping them keeping them simple, but at the same time, like you said, something that you can really show the application value. Yeah, I think the key is you can you can say them and describe them, but then the next month, like let's say you're talking to everyone the next month, you're not going to just say them and describe them again the next month. You have to do something interesting, mm-hmm. and so that's where I think telling a story about someone doing that is where you can kind of foot stomp your point, but at the same time, giving keeping people interested. Yeah, I mean, as a boss, that's the most important thing, right? Like you just don't want people tuning out. You just don't want people to feel disconnected or not, not in any, have any sort of relationship with your office, especially in a military office. Yeah. I mean, I guess in any office, but I, I think it's in a civilian office, it's a little bit easier for everyone to just kind of have their own lives and you know, be, be cogs in the wheel to a certain extent, yeah. but like you, you guys really need to, to work as a team a lot of times, especially when you get to end of year, when a big project comes down, you have to have that stuff in place to be ready to work as a team. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. So you, you enjoyed your training? Yeah. Nice. Yep. You can't always say that. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, just kind of summarizing this episode, I think one of my one of my big takeaways and kind of why I wanted to to jump into this topic is because I feel like my general satisfaction for my goals and just kind of life in general have gone up, I would say in the last couple of years when, you know, I really become much more aware of my own limitations. And then also, like you said, the just the external limitations on life. So I, I don't know, I just kind of wanted to break it down to a, a little bit more granular level um but but also just kind of note that you know as long as you're trying your best and you know you keep working towards things and and trying to learn and better yourself like what else can you really do yeah that's a that's a that's a great thought and i i also found it more (laughs) i feel like that first f scott fitzgerald is kind of a downer like i don't think you'd ever put life as a cheat on like a like a big poster in your office to get people pumped up. But I, did, I, did, <laughs> I, f- I found one that was a little bit better. And, and it goes, the world only exists in your eyes. You can make it as big or as small as you want it. 
Yeah, I like that. It's cool. And I think that's that's super true. And I I think, you know, if you can if you can kind of understand that and uh, use that to your advantage, a lot of times, um, I don't know. I I think there's there's a lot to be gleaned from from the losses just as much as the wins. Yep, absolutely. So, with that, we'll close. And and I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. Have a great week. <laughs> It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you. It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you.